From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, December 20th. There's a shed just outside the Grand County Public Library. It's very nondescript, kind of brown and tan maybe, but for the past year, it's really been a helping hand for people who need a little assistance. Would you want a tour? <laughs> Liz Donkerslute is the housing program manager at the Moab Valley Multicultural Center. She's opening the doors to the Safe Outdoor Living Shed, also known as the Soul Shed. It's not very big, as you can see, but we typically, this is stocked with sleeping bags, sleeping pads, single burner stoves. The Soul Shed is a project of the Grand County Local Homeless Council, of which the Multicultural Center is a member. So this program started in January, and yeah, since then we've had 76 vouchers, which have helped 83 individuals. Different organizations who work with unhoused individuals can give out these vouchers, and they're redeemed at the shed for things like headlamps and sleeping pads. These items can make living outdoors safer when housing or shelter is just not available. It's not really a traditional idea, meeting people who are experiencing homelessness where they are, but Donkersloot says it's been well-received. Honestly, I've only heard support. Um, I was a little worried because, <laughs> you know, it's unusual. And But yeah, we've had a lot of support. I think people just understand that the housing problem right now is is really affecting everyone. Donkersloot says on average, the local homeless council interacts with about 50 people every month who are either homeless or at risk of becoming homeless. They're community members in all sorts of situations. I think that people know that it's hard to find housing, but I don't think that they realize how many individuals and families are living out of their cars, are squishing into trailers with their family. Um, It's not kind of what you would think of as stereotypical homelessness that you might see in a bigger city. It's just a lot of people who have hit hard situations, um, and they're just doing their best. The Multicultural Center is doing an end-of-year push for donations to fill the Soul Shed for 2023. Right now, Dr. Sloot says they could really use sleeping bags and sleeping pads. She says financial donations also help, too. Find more information about the Soul Shed in the show notes of today's news. Ute Mountain Ute Chairman Manuel Hart is calling on the federal government to designate a 20,000-acre ranch in Gunnison, Colorado, as reservation land. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. The Ute Mountain Ute Tribe owns seven ranches in Colorado and Utah that tribal members can use for cattle grazing and hunting. Currently, those ranches have unrestricted fee land status, which means they're subject to taxes. The Cortez Journal reports that the tribe is applying for the 20,000-acre Pinecrest Ranch in Gunnison to be designated as Ute Mountain Ute Reservation Trust land. The ranch is some 200 miles from the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation. According to Hart, trespassing on the ranch is an issue. And he said that local law enforcement officers have told the tribe they lack jurisdiction to enforce the law on tribal land. To add the Pinecrest Ranch land to the reservation, the tribe must complete an application with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and survey the land's boundaries. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. 
For the past 17 years, climate scientists and leaders from across the globe have come together to create what they call an Arctic report card. It's an update about how the region is doing and tracks things like wildfires, major storms, and extreme temperatures. Boulder, Colorado-based researcher Matthew Miller served as the report's lead author this year. He presented his findings at the annual Geophysical Union Conference in Chicago this month, telling colleagues that the data they collected has created a new normal. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Alexis Kenyon has more. Seasons are shifting in the Arctic, altering ecological and landscape processes, and increasingly misaligning with human expectations. Drew Miller told colleagues that their findings this year have forced the team to reevaluate their models. We, we updated the, the climate baseline to calculate departures from what we may call normal. Updating these baselines allows us to essentially calibrate how we assess departures from normal and to establish a new normal to compare to. Understanding change is, is consistent. In the last decade, studies showed that climate change is warming the Arctic two to three, some say even four times faster than the rest of the globe. The past seven years have been the warmest Arctic temperatures on record. This year's Arctic report card shows that the region's snow season is declining about 20 percent every decade. John Walsh is the lead author of the Arctic report card's new chapter on precipitation. He says with longer and warmer summers, the Arctic has less ice, more water, and as a result, more precipitation. But in a warming Arctic, this precipitation is turning from what was mostly snow to freezing rain. In a single event this past December, Fairbanks received over 1.4 inches of freezing rain. In the Arctic, these freezing rain events can be devastating because the ice layer can persist for months. The ice remains on roads, and it can prevent foraging by wildlife until the spring thaw. Changes in seasonal ice and warming seawaters are causing domino effects within the Arctic's food chain, starting with microscopic algae, which constitutes the base of the marine food web. Monitoring changes in marine algae growth is important for understanding how upper levels of the marine food web including fish, marine, mammals, and seabirds, are impacted as well. Karen Fry is a polar scientist at Clark University in Massachusetts and author of a report on primary productivity of Arctic plankton blooms. Fry says 2022 was the sixth consecutive year that communities and tribal leaders encountered higher-than-expected numbers of dead seabirds across Alaska coastlines. The birds were found to be emaciated, which was the most significant factor contributing to these deaths. Seabirds and their eggs are important food for rural Alaska, and residents are concerned about the loss of these subsistence foods. On top of warming waters and melting ice, food chains are being disrupted by shipping. Matthew Drucamiller says as quickly as the Arctic is melting, ships from all over the world are plowing new routes through it. This year's report details how the emergence and availability of satellite-based ship data since 2009 is helping to assess how the opening of the Arctic Ocean is driving more ships into its remote and ecologically sensitive waters. And as damage to the natural habitat grows, rising temperatures are affecting every part of Inuit life. 
this year's Arctic Report card ends with a chapter from and by Indigenous Alaskans. It's the most comprehensive Indigenous contribution the Arctic Report card has included and looks at not just how climate change is affecting Indigenous people, but how Indigenous communities are addressing the change. Jackie Catalina Schaefer directs climate initiatives at the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and is one of the report's authors. Schaefer says Indigenous people have passed down knowledge about the Arctic for more than 20,000 years. I think if everyone thought like an Inuit, you wouldn't be sad. The world and the world, the place we live in is constantly changing. People have survived through all these changes for 20,000 years. And then we look at science, which is under 200 years old. There is hope. As grim as this year's Arctic report card may sound, Schaefer shared this ground's eye view as a member of a directly affected community. No one really paid attention to the Arctic or listened to the Arctic people um, for a multitude of reasons. We were just so far away from everything. I think now what we're seeing is a shift in the dialogue and the narrative and understanding that even through colonization and the displacement of our people, we still adapted and survived. So we have our language, we have our traditional cultural practices, but now we've mastered the Western world as well. And so now we could share and find new spaces to co-produce knowledge systems so that the future looks different. And that to me is just simply evolution of humanity. Schaefer says when it comes to the future of the planet, people and cultures are going to have to start working together. For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. That story from KGNU was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah, including KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, December 20th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you.